Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. So we're so glad that you made the decision to get here tonight. And we're expecting that God will continue to move as we open up his word at this time. I'll meet people oftentimes and they'll kind of ask, you know, hey, what do you do for a living? And, and, uh, and I'll, I'll just kind of begin to try to explain to them what I do for a living. And, and, and it depends on whether or not they grew up in church or in, and whether or not they understand kind of this role. And, and so I'll begin to tell them, well, I, you know, weekly I'll get up in front of a, a few hundred young adults and I'll basically talk about my life and talk about the word of God and talk about their life and how it all intersects together. And and they're like, really, well, how did you get into that? <laughs> and I'm like, man, it is odd to me that I would be doing this sort of thing because I don't come from the pedigree of pastors. Like when I was a little boy watching my dad, I was seeing him do two things really, really well. He was puffing on a Marlboro Red, drinking a Coors Light, and he was a hard worker, and, and he was not the epitome of anything spiritually. And so when I was a little boy, and people were like, Chad, what do you wanna be when you grow up? I was not thinking, I wanna work in a church someday, and I wanna tell people about Jesus. I, I, I simply just begin to to say yes to opportunities to follow Jesus, and I was faithful in seasons of my life, and God began to open up doors of opportunity that has led me here to this moment right now. And, and so I remember back as a young adult, I was about 20 years old when I began to follow Jesus, and, and I just began to say yes to the Lord, like, like this, that, that statement that we just sang, I surrender. God, would you come move into my life? Would you heal me from the inside out? I wanna surrender to you. It, like I, I, I said that, I sang that, and for some reason, like it stuck. I, I meant that. I understood that Jesus died for my sin, that he had a plan for my life, and I just began to believe that and walk that thing out. And so I wound up getting married a few years later, and my wife and I, we're just serving in a church, much like this church. We're serving with teenagers, and we're just saying yes to the next opportunity, and, and then we find ourselves this, given this opportunity to go part-time at a real church, and so they're like, we want you to be the student pastor. I'm like, great, tell me about the church. Like, well, it's a campus of this church. I'm like, how many students are there? I'm about to change these kids' life. They ain't seen passion like this, you know? And they're like, well, here's the deal. We don't have any teenagers. We need you to go find them. I was like, all right, if you build it, they will come. And so I said yes to this opportunity. There was about 50 people in the entirety that went to this church, little bitty church. And I began to say yes, and God began to work. And then it led to more opportunities, and I was faithful. And here's the conclusion that I come to in my life today, and it hasn't changed much since following Jesus. I want my life to matter. I don't wanna waste my life on something that's not gonna matter for eternity. And when I found out that Jesus had a plan for my life, that he wanted to change me from the inside out and then set me loose on this mission called bringing and ushering in his kingdom, I was like, man, that matters. And I, and I was watching movies like Gladiator and there's that line where he's like, man, what we do in this life echoes in eternity, you know? And I was like, yes, I want that to happen in my life, you know? And, but I knew it wasn't gonna take place in corporate. I knew it wasn't gonna take place in family. I knew it wasn't gonna take place in my personal endeavors and my hobbies because I knew that all of those things had an end. But there was this thing called following Jesus and bringing forth his mission that had no end. And I said, yes. 
And I think that there are men and women that are here tonight and when you come in here and, and there's something inside of you, and I would contend that it's innate inside of every man and woman, no matter where you live, what time in history you've lived in, it's like, I want to do something of significance. Like, like there's this old newspaper ad, this guy named Sir Ernest Shackleton or something like that. He, um, he began to run this ad because he was wanting to, to discover the South Pole in Antarctica, and here's what he said in the ad, you can see it on the screen. He said this, men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition, an event of success, Sir Ernest Shackleton. And there was a waiting list of people to get on that. Because there's something innate in all of us that that when it's like, it's fear, it's dangerous, it's adventure, we're like, sign me up because I wanna do something of significance. So there's kind of this buzzword in our society today and the the buzzword is legacy. Like you wanna give your life, that they think's bigger than themselves. This is why some of you have been invited to like, hey, Come over to my house, I wanna show you this brief video, and I've got some mentors in my life, and I'm gonna teach you how you can be so financially successful and build this downline so that you will have a legacy that you can give to generation after generation of financial superiority, and you bought into some multi-level marketing scheme, you know, because they got you hook, line, and sinker on this idea of legacy. And tonight, we're gonna look at a guy who found out that you could only truly live a legacy in following Jesus. And this guy's legacy leaps through the pages of history. And some of you are named after the man that we're gonna look at tonight. So if you're taking notes, I've titled this message, The First Martyr. <laughs> it's kind of edgy. The First Martyr. A martyr is someone who dies for what they believe in. And here's what I want you to see tonight. I want you to see this man named Stephen. I want you to see the message that he shared, and then ultimately I want you to see the way that he died. So we're in this series called The Way, and and The Way is simply the the name of the first church that ever started. And and the watching world was looking at this this ragtag bunch of people that were coming together, much like we've come together tonight, to lift up their voices to Jesus and declare that he is the savior of the world, much like we've done here tonight. And then they would leave that worship space and they would live in such a way that people accused them of living the way of Jesus. That in the first church ever, people were, were seeing the way that they lived and they were identifying them as the way. That the first church wasn't really known by the book they read or the building they went to, but it was by the way that they lived their life. And we wanna look at the pages of scripture and reclaim this heritage that we have. So this is a guy named Luke, he's a doctor, and he's writing this research project about how God the Holy Spirit has really boosted and started this movement called the church. And we've been walking through event after event, and we pick up in Acts chapter six, starting in verse one, and here's what it says. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So you have kind of two big groups of people in the first church. You have, you have the Jews that were, that were like born in Jerusalem, that sort of thing, and then you have these Greco-Jews or these Hellenistic Jews, and, and so they were Jews by, by, uh, by, by affiliation, but they were Greek in nature, and they're all coming together because they've all been changed by Jesus, and here's the complaint. The widows were neglected in the daily distribution, So then the 12 summoned the multitude. These are kind of like the church leaders. They summoned the multitude of the disciples. So they got everybody together. They said this, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. This isn't a flex. They're just saying this. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. This word reputation or good reputation is the Greek word martis, in which we get our word martyr. 
They said, seek out these guys of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So you have these guys, they're focused on what God's called them to do. They see a new need that's popped up in this church. There are thousands of people in this first church and they find these good men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and they say, hey, we need you to take over this business. And here's what it says, it goes on. And it says, but we will give, yeah, and then he goes, and it says, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. That's our key player here tonight. And Philip, we'll talk about him next week. Prochorus, Nic- I don't know how you say those guys' names, Timon, I guess he was there with Puma, Parmaeus, and Nicola, you know, I don't know, the proselyte, and so you get all that. Whom they set before the apostles, thanks for laughing at that, that wasn't that funny, but I appreciate it, I appreciate it. It's kind of a dad joke there. Anyway, and, uh, and so they set them before the apostles, When they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So what you have right here is you have the word of God is spreading, but in Acts 1-8, it's kind of the anthem of this book. It says that the power of God will come upon this first group of believers, and they will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you have the gospel spreading greatly in Jerusalem at this point in time. Put number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. The man, the man. The man that I wanna focus on tonight, and is one of the key players in the whole book of Acts, is a man by the name of Stephen. So you're tracking the story, right? So again, church is big, there's some issues in the church, there's some new needs that have popped up. The guys that are preaching and praying, they're like, hey, we don't have time to preach and pray and do all this. And so they're like, what should we do? Oh, we should get some quality men with us. And so like, who you got, who you got? Let's look at the faithful men that are faithfully following Jesus, that have a good reputation, they're full of the spirit, full of wisdom, and let's select those guys. So they, they looked around and they found these seven men and they found them the same way I was found when I was 22, I was found faithfully serving the local church when I got an opportunity to take a next step and expand my influence. And this is how these men were found too. I wanna take a minute and I wanna look at this guy named Stephen because I think there's some people here tonight that you're gonna fit the criteria that we're gonna find in the word of God, but you've been sitting in the seats and you've just been kind of coasting in your faith up until this point. And I'm calling men and women of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom and faith to get in the game tonight that we have some needs that we need you to begin to meet in this time in history, that we are living amongst the greatest unreached people group in all of human history, and that's our generation, y'all. And it's incumbent upon each generation to reach its own generation with the gospel. One of the reasons why I began to say yes early on to following Jesus is because I was like, well, who else is saying yes? (laughs) Here's what I found out early on. It's not popular to follow Jesus that there wasn't a lot of other men and women that were saying yes to following Jesus. And I found that to be true today. That oftentimes we can come to spaces like this and places like this and sing songs like we just were able to sing and open up this book and still miss what God has for us. And some of us need to surrender completely tonight. And we need to say yes and we need to step in to what God has for us tonight because you're ready. How do you know that you're ready? Well, let's look at this criteria of somebody that's a good leader. These are the type of people that God is looking for so that he can get them in places of influence. First of all, it said this, they were of good reputation. Think about yourself real quick. When people hear your name, what are the adjectives that they use to describe you? 
what is your reputation? Some of you have no doubt come in here tonight and, and you start thinking of adjectives that, that you probably couldn't even say in a place like this, you know, some explicitives or something like that. And maybe up until this point in your life, you've lived in such a way that when your name comes up in circles, people, you know this about you. You're not proud of some of the things you've done, but listen, this can be the first day of a new beginning for the rest of your life. That you may have come in here with a bad reputation, but you can make some decisions tonight that would be the beginning of a new work of God in your life so that you can allow the Spirit of God to move into your life and begin to redeem your reputation. Or you could just keep doing the same things over and over and over. Are you a person of good reputation? The Bible says here that they were people of good reputation, that they were full of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't freak out. Now, no, let me just kind of be clear. Um, sometimes I think when we hear that, we're like, what does that mean exactly? How do you know that? Does that mean good vibes? Does that mean I, I have a, a good feeling about this day, and so I'm filled with the Spirit of God? Well, when you read the Bible, it gives some clear handles as to what it means to be filled with the Spirit. There's a guy named Paul, and he wrote about this in Galatians 5, and he basically said this, walk in the Spirit. And here's what he meant by that. When you walk in the spirit, he says that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, you don't need a, a seminary degree. You don't need a theological great study to figure out what are the desires of the flesh. That's your sex life. That's, that's, your, that's your, your pleasure life. That's the way that you spend your time. That, that's you. That is your selfishness. And so you've got to make a choice. If I am filled with the Holy Spirit, what that means is that I do not I say no to myself often, all right? You're, you're, there's this selfishness inside of you that's like a spoiled child and it does not need indulgence. It needs discipline, amen? amen? And so when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what you're saying is I say no to the selfishness that, that, that exists inside of me. And then Paul, he goes on, he says this, that there is fruit that you can look at in your life to know whether or not you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He says this, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy. You have those two things. It's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's gentleness, it's faithfulness, it's self-control. And so I think some of us, we've confused what being filled with the Holy Spirit means. We think that it's a feeling, but it's a filling, and there's fruit that leads to that. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? somebody of good reputation, somebody that's filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says here that they were also full of wisdom. I think wisdom is one of these words that we can throw out there and, and we could all be on a different page. Let me just kind of bring us all on the same page. If you're taking notes, you could write this down. That wisdom is understanding that life is connected. It should say connected, I'm sorry, I had a typo there. It's understanding that life is connect. It's connected, all right? It, it, it's understanding that your this affects your that. Like you can't come into a place like this, get so filled up with God, so to speak, and then, and then think, okay, I've done that, and now it's time for me to go get turned at the whatever, you know? Like, like you, you, you gotta understand that you're, the way that you manage your finances, it is going to influence the way that you live in your 30s or your 40s. You, you gotta understand that if you're looking at explicit things online, you understand that, that that's gonna influence your mental health. You gotta understand that your this is connected to your that, and when you are full of wisdom, you look at God's word to figure out the way of life, and then you allow his word to inform your life practically. Are you a man or a woman of good reputation? Are you full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom? And then it says here of Stephen that not only was he full of wisdom, he was also full of faith. Faith, if you need a definition of that, faith is this, it's, it's believing God's word. 
and acting upon it, no matter how I feel, because God promises a good result. Are you a person of faith? Do you believe God's word? Don't you know God, God wrote a book to you? <laughs> Don't you know that God has this, this, this 66 letter or, I mean, 66 book love letter that he wants to, to unfold before you so that you can know the character and the nature of God? Don't you know that the word of God is like bread to a parched soul? It's like, it's like bread to a hungry spiritual man. Don't you know the word of God is like bullets that you can get against the enemy in your life? Don't you know the word of God is like bandages, that God has some things that he wants to say to you? Like we sang earlier, like come to me all who are heavy laden, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is light and my burden is easy. And faith is feasting upon those words. It's believing God's word and acting upon it. That James, the half-brother of Jesus, he would say this, that faith without works is dead. And so it's not just reading this book and consuming this thing. I think some of us have come in here and we're 300 Bible verses overweight, all right? Spiritually speaking, and we need to do what God's word says. We don't need more truth. We need more obedience, And faith is believing God's word and acting upon it no matter how I feel. Sometimes you don't feel like being the man or the woman of God. If I stood up here and I told you, man, it's always easy for me to deny myself and love my wife sacrificially, you would be like, that's a fake brother. It's not easy and I don't get it right all the time. And so I have to go to the word of God and I have to allow it to remind me as to what I'm called to do as a husband. Like, I'd be, I'd be crazy to come up here and tell you, like, man, I have this right view, this God view of myself all the time. I never struggle with people pleasing. I never struggle with any sort of thing like that. I'd be like, that's a fake brother. And I have to go to the word of God and I have to allow the word of God to inform me of who I am in Christ. I'm not marked by my past failures. I'm not marked by what other people say about me. I'm marked by what God says about me, and that's what faith is. It's believing God's word and acting upon it no matter how I feel. That feelings are real, but they're not reliable, and your faith should inform your feelings. And you, you're believing these things, you're acting upon it, no matter how you feel, because God promises a good result. Are you a, are you a person of faith? Don't you know that, that the word of God records that without faith, it's impossible to please God? So when you're looking at this list, I think oftentimes we'll say, man, I don't measure up to all those things. But if those things, in some right, if they mark your life, if you're in a place where you are faithfully following Jesus, it's time to step up. It's time, if if you've been sitting idly by and just kind of cultivating you and God, you and God, it's time to get in some horizontal relationships and start ministering to other people. It's time to be like Stephen and, and say like, who are the faithful men and women that we can give this new business to? And would we find you faithful? Some of you, the reason why you're getting so bored with church is because you're not stepping up. And you're gonna wind up an old man or an old woman that is criticizing all the crazy people out there that are just running wild, although you never got in the game and tried to make a difference. And we need you to step up When we read about this man, Stephen, he was willing to do whatever it took to advance the gospel, even if that meant serving widows. And Stephen, when he started serving widows and he was just faithful with what God brought 
in his life, this opened up an opportunity for him to preach one of the greatest sermons that's recorded in the entire Bible. And we see this happening, and, and, we, and we see this principle reflecting in Scripture that, that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro, as it says in Second Chronicles, looking for people's hearts who are fully surrendered to him. We see in Jeremiah 5.1 that, that Jeremiah is looking for a man who is honest and seeks the truth, and God says, I will forgive a city because of that man's faithfulness. And would God find faithful men and women in this space tonight? Are you surrendered to God? Do you wanna know him and to make him known? Or do you just wanna come play games? Are you a man and a woman of good reputation, full of the spirit, wisdom, and faith? Stephen, he, he was. And because of this, God gave him opportunity. So it goes on in Acts chapter seven that he goes on and he, and he preaches this sermon and and what happens is that he begins to make a bunch of religious people upset because, because they, they didn't like the way he was following Jesus, basically. And, and, and it was one of those things where they're like, we don't like this guy, but they couldn't find an offense against him. <laughs> so I love this. Because they're like, man, we don't like him, but, but he's so good and, he, and he's so full of wisdom and people are flocking to him. And, and then he goes on to get in front of these guys because they, they basically... Uh, stage a coup against him. They, they, uh, they make up some lies against him saying he's blaspheming against this and this. And, and so they bring him into a, a court of law and he begins to preach and he preaches the longest sermon that's recorded in Acts. And, I, and you can read it on your own time in chapter seven, but here's basically what he's saying. That God doesn't exist solely in a church building. And you guys have made this building or the temple back in the day, you've made it more significant than God. And he proves over and over and over and using the stories of, of their culture to show that God has this pattern of moving mightily even when there's no building. And that there's this pattern of God's people rejecting the movement of God. So Stephen's basically saying, guys, y'all got it all twisted. God does not live in a house built by human hands. God can, he lives everywhere at all times, and then he turns it to them. And he says this in verse 51, chapter seven, verse 51. He says, you stiff-necked. Now, this is one of the strongest words used in the New Testament. He's holding them out in a holy way. He's calling them out. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. What he's saying there, this, this word, it's kind of a weird word, but it was his way of saying, you are dead in your sin, That's what he's saying. So he says, you stiff-necked, you uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. This is his way of saying the coming of Jesus. He says, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it, that he's looking at them and he's saying, guys, you've missed the whole point of the thing that you've given your life to, that he's saying, guys, don't miss this, you are worse off than you really want to admit, point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you can write this down, the message, the message, so the message that Stephen is preaching is a message that they really did like. They really didn't like because it challenged their paradigm for God. See, they pictured God as this kind of this, this great deity that, that they had to make happy by their religious way of life. 
like they, they had to make God happy and, and God was only gonna accept them if they kept this rule or this list of rules. And so Stephen, what he's saying is that guys, you can't keep the rules. You've given your whole life to this paradigm of thinking and it's the wrong thing and you have given your life to this so much so that it led you to kill the very God that you're trying to get in right standing with. And he's saying, you are worse off than you want to admit. And they didn't like it. This flew in the face of their ideology and, and listen, today it still flies in the face of, of the way we see life. See, we were brought up in a culture that was based upon this idea that mankind is inherently good. Coming about the 1930s, there was this, this self-help movement that was somewhat introduced at that point in time, and then it really began to blossom in the 70s, and now it's full force in our day and age. And self-help, it's, it's basically this, that in order to fix your problems, you just need to look within yourself. Like, you're basically a good person, and you just need to find other people with shared experiences, and, and, and then those people, they're gonna help you cope with your life problems. And this is a wildly popular narrative in our culture. And so like when you go to Amazon, one of the greatest lists of, uh, of categories of books is self-help books. You go to Barnes and Noble and the, the largest section in the bookstore is self-help books. This is a billion dollar industry, right? Like how many of y'all taken an Enneagram? How many of y'all taken a Strength Finders? How many of y'all done a personality test? And, and we, we've come in here and, and most of us have done some sort of introspection, which is not all bad. But what it's led to is this idea that I'm not that bad and I think that I can, within my own strength, pull my life together and deep down inside, I really don't need God. But this is ironic. Because you got where you are today by yourself, more than likely. And more of you will not get you out of where you are today. And so like some of you come in here, you are neck deep in some problems that, that if you're being honest, you're the common denominator. I know she did this, he did this, I know this didn't work out, but you were the consistent person in this equation, all right? And you think that if I just look deeper within myself, even though myself got me here, I could fix this. You're just digging deeper in the hole. I don't think that you can fix it. But this is a common perspective in our culture. Like I just met a guy last week and I was having a conversation with him and we were in a place like this and, and, uh, and I said, hey, have you ever been in a place like this? We were at church and he's like, no, not really. He's from uh, California. And uh, he's like, not really? And I was like, well, what do, you, what do you think about this place? He's like, oh man, it's cool. You know, it's a cool place. And I was like, well, yeah, well, um, so if you've never been in a place like this, like, what, where are you at faith? Like, do you have a faith? And, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's very California, like quintessential California guy. Like, hang 10, man, he's, he's real laid back. And, uh, and I said, really, well, tell me more about that. He's like, well, you know, it's, it's basically all about being a good person. You know, you just gotta be a good moral person. You just gotta be a good person. And I was like, yeah, yeah, man, I, man that, I used to think that same thing. And then I started reading the Bible. You ever read the Bible? And he's like, no, not really. I was like, yeah, man, it's, it's, like, it's crazy. Because you would, like, it makes sense that it'd all be about being a good person, but, but then you start reading about Jesus, and like, Jesus said things like, no one's good. Like, no one. Not, not one, you know? So I, was, I'm, I remember, and I'm telling, I remember reading that thing, and man, well, I, if no one's good, that would include, I'm in the no one equation, you know? And so what did we do? And then I started reading, like, and I was like, you know what? And then I started understanding that heaven's a place of perfection. Do you agree with that? He's like, oh, yeah. I was like, so God can't let good things be in heaven. He can only let perfect things be in heaven. And so that creates a problem, right? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> but he wouldn't look at me. <laughs> he's like, 
<laughs> Don't make eye contact with this guy. Like I just met him. That was probably a little too direct, but anyway. And I just began to share with him about the love of Christ and, and how God made a way because none of us are good enough to get to heaven. And so Jesus gave his life on a cross and then three days later, he rose from the grave to show you the depth of your depravity and need for a savior, but also to show you the length of his love that while you, while you were still a sinner, while you were against God, God demonstrated his own love for us and he gave himself. And I shared that with this young adult and he began to process that and he's probably still processing that to this day. But this idea that we're all just kind of basically good people, it makes sense in our mind. It's just not biblical. And if you're really being honest and you measure your goodness against God's holiness, you lose every time. So Stephen, he's telling these folks, like, you, you need a savior. You, you cannot do this on your own. So in verse 54, it, here's their response. It says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. This is a common phrase in the book of Acts. And it says, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. This phrase, they were cut to the heart, it, it also popped up earlier in Acts chapter two when this guy named Peter was preaching basically the same message, all right? So I love that the Bible is just kind of these guys that, that learned this message and it went like this. Hey, this is who God is, this is what he's done, and then Jesus came and you killed him. You know, and they just, they call him out. You killed him because of your sin. And they get a little intense. And in Acts chapter two, it says that the audience, when Peter said that, it says that they were cut to the heart but it led to them turning their life over to God. But in here, chapter seven, these men and women, they are cut to the heart and then they gnashed at him with their teeth. That in Acts two, the people heard the message that they needed a savior, they were cut to the heart and it led to repentance. Now in Acts chapter seven, the same message is being preached, the same response, they are cut to the heart but it led to obstinance and rejection. See, there's really two ways to respond to the word of God. We say this often here that every time we open up the word of God, it demands a response. And really there's, there's ultimately two buckets that you can fall into tonight. That when the word of God is being proclaimed to you right now, I believe that God, even if you have a calloused heart, he's still slicing at that mug. And you can either harden that thing and be obstinate and gnash your teeth and dig in or you can say, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Here's my heart, Lord. I'm surrendered. You can accept the word of God or you can reject the word of God. See, when you reject the word of God, when you gnash your teeth and you're obstinate, what you're saying is I'm smarter than God. I'm wiser than God. I know better than God. I don't need God. I am God. And I don't think you would ever say those things out loud, but we say what we think and we do what we believe. And when you reject the word of God time and time again, what it's showing by the fruit of your rejection is that you believe that you are God and you don't need the one true living God. And that's dangerous, y'all. And maybe the reason why you don't have the joy that's unexplicable, maybe the reason why you, you haven't seen God do things in your life is because you haven't surrendered your life over to him. And what are you waiting on? Maybe the, tonight would be the night that you would accept 
the fact that you are worse off than you really want to admit, but in Christ you are more loved than you could have ever have imagined. See, when you accept the word of God, what you're saying is you're saying, I can't do it on my own. You're saying, God, I've tried to be the man or the woman that you knit me together in my mother's womb to be. But I keep going back to these, these wells that are broken. I, I keep going back to these things that, that aren't giving me life. I keep looking for life amongst cemeteries. God, I'm sorry, and I wanna accept. I, I'm here to own my part, God. Would you accept me? Would you love me? And when you read the word of God, then it gives you the confidence to understand that when you propose the question, God, would you accept me? Would you love me? The answer is a resounding yes. I've given my life for you. I love you more than you could even fathom. I know the hairs that are on your head. I've numbered your days. I gave you that snort when you laugh. I gave you this place in this time, this moment. I am sovereign, I make no accidents. I was there when you went through difficult times. You weren't alone, I was there when you walked through a dark season. And I'm here today and I'm entreating you, come. And some of you, when you hear that, it cuts your heart and you dig in. Because in your pride, you don't wanna say, I need God. But there's a battle going on, it's a paradox. Because there's this void that exists in your life that you keep trying to put things in. I'm gonna try sex, I'm gonna try relationships, I'm gonna try drinking, I'm gonna try my career, I'm gonna try self-improvement, I'm gonna try, and none of it satisfies. I hope that you would come to Christ tonight and that you would surrender your life. So Stephen, he, he preaches this message and this group of people, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed their teeth. Earlier when the word of God was preached in Acts chapter two, it says they were cut to, heart, to their heart and, and they asked this question, what must we do to be saved? Which group would you find yourself in tonight? The story goes on to say this, that the guys that Stephen said this stuff to, like they, they were upset. <laughs> they didn't like what he had to say. They didn't just kind of get cut to the heart and gnash their teeth like, oh, we don't like this guy. It turned violent. And here's what it says in verse 55. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. This is a unique thing in all of the Bible that all of the Bible, you see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And when someone stands at the right hand of a, of, of a, of a, of a king, they're standing in approval, they're standing in, in, in presence, they're saying, they're saying, I'm with you, I see this. Stephen looks up, he sees the glory of God and he sees Jesus not sitting, but standing, as if Jesus was saying, I see what's happening, Stephen. You're not alone. I'm with you. See, Jesus didn't come to explain away our suffering and our hardship. He came to stand in it, and he came to enter it. 
And so Jesus, he's standing there. Stephen sees, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm with my guy, all right? We're, we're in this together. It says, and he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And it says the response in 57, then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and they ran at him with one accord. So this mob starts taking over Stephen. Why? For preaching the gospel. And it says that they cast him out of the city. And the Bible just simply records what happened, and they stoned him. Being, being stoned is just like what it sounds. You, you, these people, they grabbed rocks, and they literally threw the rocks at Stephen until he died. All in a fury. This was against the law. This was a scandal. They didn't like his message, and they threw rocks at him until he died, which, which is crazy. And then it goes on, it says this, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. If there was music happening like an orchestra and we were playing this thing out like on Broadway or something, right now would be the time where the music would go bum, bum, bum. And if you know much about the Bible, Saul is the guy that would become the greatest missionary and we'll talk about him in a couple of weeks. And so you get the picture, right? That they're laying their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. In this culture, what that means is that Saul is the ringleader. So in an act of divine irony, Saul is trying to squash the message of God by killing the messenger of God, and God's like, oh, this is gonna be good. <laughs> all right, you, you thought you were stopping me. I'm gonna holler at you in a few days, all right? And we'll get to that later, but don't forget that little detail. It says in 59, and they stoned Stephen, and he was calling on God, note this, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Taking the words of Jesus is what Jesus said on the cross. And then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, note this, he's being hit by rocks, and here's what he's saying. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes, write this down, the martyr. The martyr. See, a martyr is someone who dies for what they believe in. Stephen, he died for preaching. He was single in the prime of his life. He was a young adult just like you who gave his life for something that echoes on into eternity. Who, who does this? who has this type of boldness on the spot. I was thinking about the life of Stephen. I'm thinking, man, I would have been a coward in this moment. I don't think I would have known what to say, but Stephen, he stands up and he seizes the moment. And if you look back at the pages of history, you find that it's the blood of the martyrs that soaked the soil in which our faith has grown. And Stephen, he gave his life and I think we've all come in here tonight and deep down inside, we're all wanting to give our life for something that's worth dying for. And here's what I would say. If you don't have a dream that's worth dying for, then I would question the purpose of your life. And if you don't have something that's worth dying for, then what are you living for? What's worth dying for in your life? Is your career worth dying for? Is your dog worth dying for? Is your significant other, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, 
they were dying for? Is your car worth dying for? Is your house worth dying for? Is your social status worth dying for? Is your Instagram account worth dying for? See, whatever you deem worth dying for in your life is what you are truly living for. And if you claim to know Jesus, would you die for him someday? If deep down inside you, you would say yes, then here would be my extension to you tonight. If you claim to know Jesus and you would die for him someday, then why won't you live for him today? See, what good is a martyr's death without a martyr's life? It's time for some of you to surrender. Not in word, not in song, but with your life. See, Jesus, he doesn't ask much from the people that don't follow him. But Jesus requires everything from those that do. This is the cost. And what I found is that this is truly where life begins. What do you surrender to tonight? I hope and pray that it's to the one that surrendered his entire life so that you would know without a shadow of a doubt that you're loved, that you have purpose, you have meaning, that you're not alone, that you're not forgotten that you can be known and loved truly by Jesus if you'll simply surrender. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, we pray that you would help us to take to heart the words that we've read. God, we thank you that your word is alive. God, we thank you for the songs that we've sang tonight. We thank you for the way that you move. We thank you for the way that you grace us with your presence. God, I pray for the person that's hanging on, that their heart is pumping, and they're thinking, I can't, I can't, that they would. God, I pray that people would, would tap out, that they would be like Jacob, the deceiver, that would become Israel, one who wrestles with God. God, you'd put them in submission tonight. Help us to respond now to the singing of this song and help posture our hearts in the decision that you're prompting us to make in obedience. In Christ's name, amen.